Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. What is going on, guys? Josh Salvo here. Before we get into today's podcast episode, I wanted to uh, speak a little bit about our membership program that we created a little over six months ago at this point. Uh, if you're not familiar, what we did is we built this platform that gives members discounts of up to 50% off 90 plus startups. Many of these startups are the brands that we interview on this podcast. Um, so the reason we created the platform is really to help uh, outdoor enthusiasts discover new innovative startups really related to their favorite outdoor activities, whether it's skiing, climbing, hiking, camping, whatever, really, um, and be able to get a discount on them. So basically, in addition to that, you can also apply to become an ambassador for, the, for these brands um, all from one location. You can do it basically with a click of a button. makes it super simple. Uh, we'll also showcase a lot of the new products that these brands are working on. Uh, you can get access to demo and trade show deals up to 60% off all of their stuff at the end of the season. Um, and lastly, we have a private Facebook group for everyone who participates uh, to get to know us and each other on a more personal level and really help us um, build the future for really the outdoor space and showcase new innovative brands. So if you want to check it out, head over to readyyeti.com slash members and uh, you can get your first month free. What is going on, Ready Yeti Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, your host on today's episode. I am sitting down with the founder of Liquid Hardware, Steve Kiddo. Steve, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. No, yeah, Thank you, Josh. I appreciate you um, reaching out to us and making some time to, to do an interview. Yeah, definitely. So, for the listener that may not be familiar with Liquid Hardware, how would you best describe what you guys do? Well, we are a vacuum-insulated water bottle coffee mug container company, and we have basically have a patented magnetic lid tethering system where the lid comes off the bottle and you can stick it to the side of otherwise non-ferromagnetic container. So that, that's what we do, and we brand a lot of bottles and, and mugs and containers for different um, customers that, that might want that from a coffee shop to an outdoor store to another brand. Um, and, uh, and that's what we do. That's interesting. So why, what made you decide to create this magnetic lid uh, to attach to your, to a water bottle? Yeah, we, you know, I, I came up with the idea. I was, I was, I live in Idaho and, um, actually now I live in Jackson hole, but our office and our warehouse are in, still in Idaho, in Victor, Idaho. We live um, between, on, right, you know, the state line is um, basically the Teton Mountain Range. So Jackson Hole Ski Resort, Jackson Hole, Wyoming are on one side, and Teton Valley, Idaho, and Targhee is on the other side. And um, so anyway, at the time I was living in Idaho, and I have a, had a really bumpy dirt road that <clears throat> led up to our house at the end of a road. And um I had a just a regular water bottle, uh, reusable water bottle, and the lid came off and rolled under. Um, I think I had it on my lap, and it rolled out under the the pedals of my truck. And I thought, ah, oh, you know, how do I solve that? And I immediately thought, why isn't it magnetic? And so I started doing some research about magnetic um, containers and whatnot, and realized why you know you couldn't stick it to a container because containers are made out of non-ferromagnetic um material like a, a glass plastics ceramic aluminum um stainless steel 
And um, so I, that, that's basically how I came up with it. And I, and I started to make prototypes at that point and do a bunch of research. And this was in 2011, give or take? Yeah, it was actually a bit before that, but we, uh, but we, started, we started the company in 2011. So. Um, and so, yeah, this was probably, this was years before that, but um, several years. So, you know, at that, and at that point, I, I actually, I've, I'm always coming up with ideas. At the, at the time, I was, a, um, I was a woodworker. I had a furniture studio and, so I was making a lot of furniture for people, you know, di- different furniture. Every time I basically um, started a project, it was something different because I was doing custom work. And um, I don't know, I've always kind of had that creative thing going on. So um, I'd always come up with ideas and show my wife, Mary. And a lot of times it was like, ah, no. <laughs> and <laughs> I I, uh, I came up with this idea and I, I basically I kind of, put together a prototype over a course of some months and walked in one day and I hadn't shown her and I showed her and she's like, I'd buy that. <laughs> yeah, that's a good sign. <laughs> and I, you know, I stuck the lid to the side and that's kind of where, it, you know, I, I started uh, really looking at it and thinking, oh, I could probably do something with this. So, so as a kid, were you always sort of tinkering with things and working with your hands? Yeah, I was. Um, yeah, I can remember, you know, taking apart my dad's radios, my brother and I, and just like disassembling them. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> sure and, he was uh, thrilled. Yeah, right. And then like, you know, putting them on a two by four or something and trying to figure out how they worked. Um, he actually liked it because he was an engineer and he, he worked on Landsat and a bunch of stuff for the government. But um, uh, so he actually, I think, really thought that was pretty cool. And yeah, we, you know, we would, we would spend all night building model rockets in the basement and figure out how to build a launch pad that, you know, pulled the little igniter away after it launched and stuff like that. So yeah, I was always kind of tinkering around. Did you know from a young age that you kind of always wanted to start your own thing? Yeah, I think so. I think from an early age, I knew that. And I, you know, I worked for Fish and Game and I worked, you know, for different different like snow king in different places um for for a number of years but as soon as i could i ended up i ended up starting a furniture business um i saw an, a niche i guess in, in jackson hole area to to do that make custom furniture so i was making western furniture and moved into kind of western contemporary stuff at the end when i was when i was doing that but um um and i just love that i love the freedom of being able to to work when i want wanted to work and go out and enjoy the outdoors or whatever I wanted to do when I, when I wasn't working. So, yeah, no, I can, I can relate to that. I know you launched a Kickstarter towards the end of 2011, which really helped you raise the first round of money to place the first order. Uh, I think you raised a little over $10,000. What was it like really developing the product from what you created then to what you're offering now? Yeah. Um, well, it really was a prototyping process because I was basically getting single wall bottles that were on the market and basically hacking on part or getting, um, you know, like the metal strapping off of a pallet that I'd get a, you know, a load of wood for our shop in. And I'd take that piece of metal and I'd fabricate it to attach to the bottle and then screw or glue or whatever I needed to do, attach a, a magnetic surface to a lid. So that's kind of how it started for a while. And I was, I was messing around with that. Um, and then all at the same time, when I, when I was doing that, I wasn't really showing it to anybody, um, at all other than my wife who was a partner with me in it. 
because we were we were actually in the patent process and I did we were doing a lot of research um, on that end and realized no one had patented this idea. So uh, we ended up hiring a patent lawyer and I went through that process and began the patent process uh, prior to 2011. And yeah, and so, I mean, there was a lot of that going on. And in the beginning, I really, I wanted to make the bottle in the United States. And I did a bunch of calling around. I probably contacted about 15 shops at the time and was trying to find a, me, you know, a metal former, a, me, a metal spinner, someone in the U.S. that could make a bottle. And I got to the point where I was getting pricing from that, from these companies and no one was doing it at all. And stainless wasn't even being really made here in the U S anymore, which was just shocking. And the pricing was just absolutely astronomical. I think it was around, it was going to cost me around $50 um, per unit uh, without a lid. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So so that was my cost. So, you know, it it was pretty easy to figure out that I wasn't going to be able to do that. Um, you know, unless I could figure out how to make the bottle myself. And I also knew at the same time I I was going to be making a vacuum insulated bottle because they were starting to show up on the market. And, and, uh, and that's a whole nother, a whole nother step in the process. So in the middle of all that, I, there was a, there was a company in Ohio that I was talking with and they introduced me to a, to a gentleman who they thought was a good broker to use to go to Asia and um, I ended up working with this ge- gentleman, and <clears throat> it it uh, in the end it, we did, we parted ways. Um, and it you know it was a it was a it was a couple year um, really tough learning curve <laughs> where I, I hired a broker who really didn't know anything about you know water bottles, um, although he he pretended he did, but. Um, we, you know, we ended up sourcing um, bottles in out of Asia that I had no, I had almost zero control over the quality control and the design side. Um, although we, I did work on the design and we, we built it in CAD, but um, I did some three D printing. But um, there was a, there was a broker in between me and the manufacturer, which, you know, I. I actually ended up selling some of those bottles, the single first generation single world bottle that we ended up getting through him. But I ended up basically um, donating a bunch of them, um, which was a huge, huge um, price to pay because I not only was paying him, I was paying tooling and for a pretty large production run. So a very and at the same time, you know, patenting, you know, not only in the U.S., but internationally with our with our patents. Um so it was a big setback. And um, at that point, I had just I had finished the first Kickstarter and I had to delay delivery to people because it because of how bad the quality was. And finally, we ended up getting a product that was pretty good, but it wasn't um, really what I envisioned. So I kept going and I I ended up finding another manufacturer actually through my Kickstarter campaign and in Asia and um parted ways with the gentleman I started with and, um, the broker. And at this point I hadn't been over to Asia yet. And I, um, ended up finding a really good manufacturer, but they were really good at plastic and silicone work, but they did not do metal work in, in house. And so it ended up being that, uh, over 
I think it was three production runs. We, we started our vacuum insulated bottles with them. We also did a non-insulated bottle with them. And every time I did a production run, it was basically a re-education because they were farming out the metalwork to a different factory every time. So I would get a different product every single time I ended up getting a, an order placed. Um, which was really a struggle. And then I finally got over to Asia and figured out that 90% of the world's stainless steel water bottles are made in a certain town, a certain region in China. And ever since then, and I found a good manufacturer in that town and we've been with them ever since and they nailed it right out of the gate. So um, those problems are behind us years ago. But um, so yeah, that's kind of the, I guess the the long answer to your question. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I think that just goes to show how difficult um, manu- figuring out manufacturing is. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, you can't, you know, you you could go to school for some of this stuff, but you need to live it, unfortunately, and 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 you need to have some money to do that, and however you do it, or you just get lucky, you know, and that can happen too. But but you just need to kind of go for it and and figure it out as it goes, and and try not to make your next mistake as big as the last one, I guess. Yeah, it's always the goal. And so during this process, I assume you um, kept your day job while sort of figuring all this stuff out? Yeah, you know, I did. I, I was um, I was still making furniture at the time. And um, my wife's a school teacher, so she had that job. And But, you know, I, my, my parents had passed away unexpectedly, um, both at young ages. So I, we, we ended up with some money. But um, I was able to kind of luckily and unluckily, you know, I guess, uh, fund the company and keep going, um, through some of this hardship. But, uh, yeah, without that, I wouldn't have been able to do what I'm doing, what I did there. But, um, so I, you know, I I have them to thank in a big way, um, what they left us kids, but, um, and, and it wasn't a ton of money, but it was enough to kind of keep going, I guess is a good way to put it. Um, and keep forging ahead. And I, you know, with my dad actually knew about this idea when I, before, before he passed away and I shared it with him and he, you know, he was very, very for it. So, you know, and, and, and part of this whole thing is I'm, you know, I have a disease called PKD, which is polycystic kidney disease. And my father had that as well. Um, and we're, you know, part of it is we're trying to give some money to that, to, to research for polycystic kidney disease. Um, and you have to drink a lot of water, as a result, so I mean, maybe that's why I got into it because I was I was already drinking a lot of water. I think that's. Uh, it sounds like your 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 parents had a really big influence on on your direction, specifically your dad with uh, with, with the business. Um, now you've talked a little bit about manufacturing. Um, I want to ask you specifically, what has it been like trying to keep sustainability in mind when building uh, liquid hardware? Um, well, I mean. I mean, kind of. It's you know, we're we're basically making a product that we hope people use um, for a long time. And one of the you know one of the things that I made a decision when we started with this this newest manufacturer that we were going to make our bottles. Um, this might sound counterintuitive, but we ended up choosing a a stainless that they kind of raised their eyebrows at. I I ended up choosing a, a thicker stainless for the construction than I'd say our competitors are using. Um, um, because I didn't want it to dent, um, and I wanted people to use it for a long time. So, um, you know, we're, we're hoping that people use our product for years, not just, you know, months. Um, 
and and use them because they they last. Um, and as far as sustainability goes, we you know we work with a couple of local um, nonprofits. One of them um, approached us. Um, it was a couple years ago now, but. Um, it's called Slow Food in the Tetons. It's part of a larger national organization. It might be even international. Um, and uh, a guy over there named Scott Steen um, started it, or I believe he started it, but he, he's now the, the the guy that runs it, Slow Food in the Tetons. And he, I guess, he and his wife were in Europe, and they were at a at a a beer festival, and he noticed that there was, instead of people using plastic cups like we use here all the time um, at events, that even at this big festival, people were actually renting a cup. So um, he thought that was really cool. So when he came back and he was working for Slow Foods and they put on, I think it's like 15 um, weekly people, you know, local food events um, at the one at the base of Snow King um, ski resort in Jackson. And every Wednesday, I believe it is, they have um, local farmers come with their goods, whether it's cheese or veggies or meat um, and other people that are making making things locally. Um, and they also have beer there. And the one thing he started was this rent-a-cup. So it started with – it wasn't mandatory the first year, but by the second year it was where you – you had to either rent a cup or bring your own cup. The whole idea was it's a zero waste event. And so we supplied the cups for that event. And um, um, they basically charge a rental fee and you get the money back. So like if you show up at the thing and at the event, at one of the weekly events and you don't have a cup, you can, you can give them $7 and they give you a cup. And if you want to keep it, you can keep it. And if you don't, you can bring it back and you get $6 back. So, it, you know, it, it became a really cool uh, sustainability uh, project. And that's been going on for, I think it's been three years now. But uh, hats off to Scott because he, he started that and it's kind of uh, spilled over into some other local events where I, you know, we're working with the, the um, local uh, energy conservation district where they're buying some cups from us and then they're renting them out to the public if they need them for an event. So they don't use plastic at like a, like at a mountain film festival or something. So, yeah, I think that's a, a really great way to be utilizing um, and lowering waste. Right. Um, because mm-hmm. it's like, like I started doing this, like, I don't know, maybe eight years, six or seven years ago, but I, I drink out of the same water bottle for everything, regardless mm-hmm. of what it is. Cause like, it's, I don't want to waste, I don't want to use a paper cup or a plastic cup and then just throw it away. Right. Um, which is, is really important. And like before, like it was, I, I don't remember where I, it was just an aha moment where someone explained to me what happens and I'm like, Oh, I never really thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, like. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I think it was the mayor of uh, San Francisco that it was a couple years ago now, but he was doing a, a press conference and he held up um, a one use plastic water bottle and it was full. There was like a third of it that was full of oil. And he said, that's how much oil it takes for this one water bottle to be, you know, made, transported, recycled, you know, the whole the whole chain of that that water bottle, that one single right, use right, right. plastic water bottle. So it was just like, wow, it's like a real eye opener. Um, 
you know, but it's convenience, right? So I think that's the thing that they've hit on there with, with that, where it's like, um, it's really, it's a really hard thing to, to break away from because, you know, at the end of the day, people are trying to make money on these events. And a lot of times it's through beer. So, um, or whatever you're selling to drink, but so, you know, having this cup that basically, you know, he, he ends up selling a lot of cups, but he ends up, you know, and, and, and he's working with a local, um, restaurant. So the restaurant is washing the cups. Everyone's kind of working together. So the, the, the local restaurant is washing the cups if they, they're only used, you know, at that event and returned and then the deposits given back. And, um, so that cup gets to be used quite a bit. And I, I think he's even got numbers on how much plastic they're saving and they've even moved it to now they have, you know, plat, you know, they have reusable silverware and plates for the event. And I think napkins as well. I think that's a, that's a great initiative and something that people should definitely do more of. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll see a lot more of it as as time yeah. goes on. Um, now, I, w- I want to ask you a little bit more about sort of the daily life and sort of what an average day looks like um, in li- in liquid hardware. Sure, um, an average day. So uh, it's it depends on what's going on. We're we're moving back into our busy season now, so. Um, you know, we had like our month off, I guess, <laughs> not off, but it got <laughs> a little bit slower after Christmas. But, um, I think spring's in the air some places, not here yet, but, um, so, you know, as we get orders, we, um, you know, we do, I would say, I'd say 90% of what we do is for other companies. So we, we, we co-brand their bottles or our bottles for them. Um, so it might be a coffee shop or an outdoor store or an event. Um, I think we're doing some stuff for the X games coming up, um, that are coming to Idaho. Um, so we'll, you know, we'll, um, we'll work on the logo. We'll get the logo right. And sometimes we'll do a sample and we'll send that out, get it approved. And then we'll, we'll do those production runs as they come in that's a lot of what's going on here. And then, you know, the team here, Chris or myself, um, somebody will be handling, um, outreach for, for new contacts, um, and sending out samples and stuff like that. Follow-ups from trade shows. Um, you know, traditionally we've done outdoor retailer, um, both summer and winter. Um, and we're also getting into some other industries, some other verticals, um, where we're doing some other trade shows, um, and, and kind of just working on, you know, building that, um, that, uh, what's going on on our website or, you know, our business to business side, um, you know, and of course doing, you know, promotions, um, like with you guys at Ready Yeti or, um, or any, or other, other companies that want to do, um, collabs and, um, projects like that, you know, and the other thing we're working on quite a bit is, um, is really, it's, it's, it's going to sound really funny, but, or maybe not, but, uh, the, um, the whole message of what we're, you know, our, you know, basically our, our product has a magnetic lid that sticks to the side of the container. But when this, when it sits on a shelf in a store against other products, people don't really know what that is. Um, so it's conveying that message. And so we're working on some POP point of purchase displays, um, that convey that. And then also some other things like just a simple sticker that's, that's on the side of the container that 
calls that out because what we've found is a lot of store owners will say these things sell really well as long as I have time to tell them what it is. But if I don't have time, it's you know. Um, I think that's a lost sale because people don't know what it is. Um, but a lot of times when you show people what it is, um, they get it right away. Yeah, no, I agree. It's like when you watch the Kickstarter video, you're like, oh, <laughs> like, yes, you know it's what a, I mean? Like, oh, yeah, okay. and, we're, and, and we're actually finishing up actually today or tomorrow. Um, there's a girl in L.A. that helped us with this, but we're doing um, a stop motion, which um, which will be great. It's about a 30 second stop stop motion and it just shows what it does. Um, the lid coming off and sticking to the side, you know, and it's actually turned out that in the coffee world, um, it's actually a health code. So, um, I mean, technically it's a health code. So like, you know, if a barista takes your mug, they got to hand, they hand your lid back to you. Um, if you're using a one use mug typically, or it just sits on the counter. Um, but this way it just sticks to the side and they can fill it up and then it can move across the counter and then you can go, put your sugar or your cream in it. You don't have to fumble with your lid or put it on the dirty counter. And it's just, it's a real convenient thing. Once you have one, you kind of get it. Um, we've actually got some people that recently were telling us that they, they have our mug, they have our, um, our, have our water bottle and they went to grab, they were on a, they were at their, at their cabin or something and they didn't have the mug with them. And they went out and grabbed something out of their car that they had a mug or a bottle there and, they went and they grabbed their lid, took it off. He was half asleep and he stuck it to the side and it fell on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And he's like, dang it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think it becomes a habit. Once you know it's it's there, you start using it. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I can see that. I can see myself doing that as well. Um, what's been one of the hardest parts about starting and building liquid hardware? Um. You know, uh, I think just getting the word out there, you know, it's, there's a lot of competing brands out there. So it's, 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 um, that's been challenging just like getting it into a store that is so comfortable with what they have. Um, um, so that's, that's, that's really been, you know, the challenge and, but that's starting to, you know, turn tide, I think on us, um, people are starting to get it. So, um, and, and then the manufacturing side, I mean, that I can't, uh, you know, tell you how, how difficult that was. That was, that was really difficult for a number of years, you know, and that was a choice I made. I, I you know, I've had opportunity to bring in investment um, and I, I've kind of turned it down just because I, I wanted to get it right. Um, and um, kind of go at my own pace. I guess that's the best way to say it. Um, and, and that's starting to work out, but it, you know. I think that's probably been the biggest challenge is just getting, getting the product right. I mean, nothing makes me happier is to, to, to have somebody who's really happy with their product. I mean, that's, that's it. You know, I don't sleep well or, or, you know, when those early days when things were not going right, I knew the product wasn't quite right. Like the lid was popping off. I mean, that's just so unacceptable. <laughs> um, that, uh, that was like our first Kickstarter campaign, but those are, those are big challenges. And you, unless you have a good product, you know, it's, it's hard to sell it and sleep at night. So, you know, we're years past that, but that, you know, that was definitely, um, that was definitely challenging. You know, what really helped me was, was, was going over to Asia. Um, it, it just, it's where these are made. It's where 90% of the world's water bottles are made. It's, 
you can't be price competitive unless you're there. And they do really good work. Um, and going there and meeting the family that owns the company and sitting down with them and really hammering that out. Once I did that, that things got a lot easier. You know, if someone's thinking about getting into manufacturing, they got to they got to make that trip or wherever it is, if it's to Ohio or wherever. But um, it seems so simple. But, um, you know, but family, whatever things, life gets in the way. And it's hard to sometimes go do what you need to do. You can do a lot of things remotely, but that's one thing you shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, what is what has the growth been like since you started? What When you first launched, was it... Um, pretty well received or did it take a while to really get that traction? Yeah, it's taken a while to get the traction, but now, I mean, we, you know, we're growing, we're doubling. And I think this year we're going to do three times that, um, what we did last year, you know, we're definitely in that, that growth stage. Um, we've got some really great customers that reorder from us, you know, very fairly large orders several times a year now. Um, it's kind of like, I call it our bread and butter, you know, it's like, so you start to get some of that going and and then the other stuff on top, it starts to like really happen. Um, definitely need to get, you need to get, I need to get bigger, but, um, but, but we're heading in the right direction and it's, and it's, it's, you know, we're growing by hundreds of percent. So what would you say is one of your greatest fears in regards to liquid hardware and how do you manage that? <clears throat> greatest fears. Um, you got to be kind of, you know, you got to kind of be fearless in, in a way, I guess. <laughs> Maybe that's, uh, I don't know. Maybe from be, having, being in business before this, like being a furniture maker and making custom furniture, um, for people and not really knowing how it's going to turn out every time it's kind of maybe, um, helped me along that path. Um, but no, I, you know, I think, um, you know, making sure that I can pay my employees and, you know, growing and that kind of thing. I think that's, you know, that's definitely something that I always, it's always, um, in the back of my mind, um, and growing and trying to, trying to come up with that next product, which we're working on now. And, um, you know, figure out, figure out if the, if the market's ready for it or, or, or we're ready for it. Um, and, and looking at, looking ahead and just seeing if we can, um, if it, if it's the right time to do it and financially or manpower wise, operational wise, you know, and the other thing, you know, I've, I've learned over time is that it, t- it takes a while. Like even when you're, you know, you're working in Asia, it's, um, it takes a while to bring a product to market, even if you kind of know what you're doing at this point. Um, you know, you're still talking a year to six months away. So, you know, all in all, it's pretty good right now. We're, we're not, we're not doing so bad. And finally have the product right, which is, which was a big hurdle to get over. Definitely. I want to ask you, what advice would you give to someone, um, that wanted to start a business in the outdoor space, really just a business in general? Um, you know, do your homework. And, um, like I said, go over, you know, visit, visit the manufacturing that you might be doing. Um, if you're, if you're in the manufacturing business, um, and, and go for it, you know, at some point you just have to go for it and, um, take that leap of faith. Cause if you don't, you could just sit around all day and think about it. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of risk, but there's a lot of reward too. Um, and, um, you know, and Kickstarter is a great place to start. It, it really is. You get, you end up building a, a nice, um, customer base. I still have customers that buy from us today, um, from Kickstarter, both of our Kickstarter campaigns. 
um, it's a really great place to start your project, you know, and network. Cause there's a lot, you know, locally here we have entrepreneurial groups and different things that, that are happening and there's already people that have done it. So ask a lot of questions cause a lot of times the answer's out there. Where do you see liquid hardware going in the next year, five years, 10 years down the road? Um, I hope I'm in a lot of coffee shops and outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just to keep growing and, and to keep coming up with some innovative products, which, which we're working on now, and, and being able to employ a bunch more people here locally in Teton Valley. Definitely. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's definitely a fun experience, uh, building a business and seeing it grow. Um, what's the best part about running liquid hardware? You know, what's really cool is seeing the, seeing the bottle out in the wild. Um, sometimes I'll, my daughter or someone will spot someone with a bottle and that's, that's really cool. Um, I remember I was once on um, the interstate somewhere and someone came out of a arrest stop with one i was like whoa <laughs> you know that's, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. cool that was a couple years ago um yes and and you know and just coming up with different ideas and the whole patent process is really interesting to me and that whole that whole side of the business the design side and the creativity side is really really interesting um that really kind of gets me interested in 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 moving to the next to the next phase um, yeah, I find it all interesting. Um, and maybe that's to a fault because I, you know, we have a laser here now and I, I like working with that and yeah, I, I enjoy it all. I enjoy it with working even with the different logos and the different companies that we work with and, and seeing what they have and, you know, what they're doing. It's, it's really cool. Definitely. And, um, if anyone who's listening wants a chance to win, uh, a, a liquid hardware bottle, you can head over to RedYeti.com between February 20th and March 20th to enter for your chance to win along with a ton of other uh, outdoor gear. And w- with that, um, Steve, where's the best place for uh, listeners to uh, tag along with everything that you uh, you guys have going on? LiquidHardware.com or um, Instagram. We're on Instagram um, probably uh, more than Facebook, but we're on Facebook as well. So either of those two places are, are great to kind of see what we're doing, what's coming next or what we're doing now. So yeah, and feel free to email me if you have any questions or um, directly and you can get a hold of us at info at liquid hardware. Definitely. And we'll have all that in the show notes, but Steve, I, I really appreciate you taking the time, sharing your story and um, really the journey of liquid hardware and all the things that you guys have, uh, uh, going on in the future. Um, and with that, I really, uh, thanks. Thanks so much for taking the time to, to chat with me. Sure, Josh. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Yeti Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.